Hi, everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Rise podcast. Before we get into our show, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about our event that we're running out in Colorado Springs, Colorado, May 28th through the 31st, called Camp Elevate for Coaches on the Rise. It is a very unique personal and professional development program for all coaches of all sports. I guarantee you, when you leave camp, it'll rejuvenate you, it'll will send you away with a lot of great ideas, and you'll meet some really, really cool coaches in the process. So if you're interested, we'd really love for you to take a, a peek um, at truenorthsports.net and hope you'll join us in Colorado Springs this coming May. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Coaches on the Rise, the podcast for all coaches of all sports. I'm your host, Celia Slater. And today we're going to visit with G. Guerreri, the head women's soccer coach from Texas A&M University. And G is one of the most respected coaches in the world of women's soccer. He's had a lot of success there. And today he's going to talk a little bit about his recipe for success And then he's also going to share a little unique aspect of his life story um, on the personal side that I think you're really going to enjoy. So now let's get on to the show. So I'm having the awesome opportunity to visit with G. Guerreri, the head women's soccer coach at Texas A&M University. Um, G, thank you so much for taking some time to visit with me um, at a very cold day here in Chicago, but... um, so, gee, our podcast is for coaches of all sports. Um, would you mind just giving them a little bit of background about, you know, how you wound up at Texas A&M? Sure. Uh, long story, very short. I, uh, I'm from here in Chicago. Uh, was, uh, I'm, I'm an adopted child as an infant. Um, I was adopted by a family in suburban Chicago and uh, lived here until I was about eight years old. And then we moved to Dallas, uh, to Richardson, actually, which is the the first suburb just north of Dallas. And I was, a from growing up here in Chicago initially, obviously I was a Cub fan and a Bears fan and, you know, a Blackhawks fan. But then moving to Texas, hockey kind of left my life, but I continued to play baseball and any other sports I possibly could. And in those days, soccer was just really kind of hitting hitting the ground and getting running in, uh, in North Texas. The Dallas Tornado was there. Lamar Hunt, um, you know, a huge influence, and uh, the guys who played for the Dallas Tornado, the the, the Kenny Coopers and the uh, Bobby Moffitts and um, you know Roy Turner and of course Ron Newman, who was the coach, they were all hugely involved in the community and trying to grow their sport. Mm-hmm. And I think that those guys, really, as a nine-year-old, you know, that's what I saw and that's what I thought that you know you're supposed to do. And I going through. All the way through high school, I played, started playing soccer when I was there in the third grade. Ended up uh, continuing to play soccer, obviously, all the way through. But I also played basketball, and I was on the tennis team in high school, and I was, uh, you know, played football and did all these things. But uh, my father basically came to me when I was a sophomore in high school and he said, "You know, we're not going to be able to pay for your college. Um, so, you know, you've got." sports could be a way of getting it now you're playing everything it's probably time for you to figure out what it is that you're going to do what are you going to be and so soccer was my love at that time and still is and and i was on the best team in in the state that helped out so 
So that became my path, and I uh, was recruited by a lot of co- a lot of colleges from coast to coast. Ended up going to the University of Tulsa, um, and it was kind of a deal of being able to go away, but only about four and a half hour drive away, so it was easy. And uh, went in and was a starter immediately and played, you know, pretty much every game for four years. And then, but I, I went knowing that I wanted to be a coach. My first job coaching was, um, I was probably 15 professionally, uh, was 15 working at the YMCA in, in after school programs with little kids. Um, so we'd be teaching them baseball, basketball, soccer, you know, t-ball really. And and that was, I, I really enjoyed the way kids' faces would light up when they when they got something that you helped them out with, and no matter what the sport was. So I knew when I went to school that I, I wanted to, that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a coach. I didn't know what level I wanted to be a coach at. And um, it was, so I was a phys ed major at, at, uh, at TU, which they don't even have phys ed anymore. Um, it's kinesiology, so I, I wish I was that actually that smart. Um, <laughs> anyway, so it wasn't until my sophomore year that, uh, that I went to my college coach, Walter Schnorr, a German-American. I said, you know, I, I, always, I know I want to be a coach. This is the level I want to coach at. I feel really comfortable here. Um, I, we've been very successful. And, uh, you know, I played, I was a starter immediately and went, went through that way. And I was like, this is what I really want to do. So I really started to pay attention to him, but also paying attention to the Jerry Yeagles and the, and the other people around and was, was suddenly more conscious of what was going on. And I coached on the side as an assistant coach at middle schools and high schools in, uh, in the Tulsa area. And then my last uh, semester of getting my, my degree was student teaching, and then I was the assistant coach at Tulsa that year. And then following that was, okay, now I need to go out and get as, as much experience as I possibly can. So I, I became the, the master of the six-month lease. And, <laughs> and so my first job was at Rollins College in Winter Park, and I was the assistant men's coach, uh, brought in to be the goalkeeper coach. And the athletic director said, hey, uh, you know, we've got a girls team. It's kind of a club team. They want to be a varsity team. You know, for an extra $1,000, would you like to coach that team? I was like, sure, that sounds fun. Um, and I had never coached women before. And that was a great experience um, because just the differences of how men and women take information in. And, um, and, and, and in those days, I wasn't really coaching them differently, which was a big mistake, but, um, but you learn. And then went from there back to, uh, to Texas and as the assistant coach at University of North Texas when it was a men's program. And then I took over in mid-season in 1988 at uh, Hardin-Simmons University. Uh, the coach had left, and they brought me in to be the men's and women's coach. And so I was there for a couple of years. We went to the NAIA National Championship game, uh, lost uh, to uh, Colleen Hacker, which mm-hmm. is, uh, mm-hmm. I have no problem losing mm-hmm. to Colleen. And um, and then after two years, they decided that they were going to go Division Three. At that time, the men were Division One, and the women were, were a dual Division One NAIA. And they said, we're going to go Division Three. We're going to bring back football. And so for myself, it was like, that's that's not my path. I'm going to try something else. So I went back, went into Dallas and ended up getting the job at Richland College, uh, junior college. And I was the head men's and women's coach there. Uh, very good programs. And after two years there of winning a lot and, and also coaching ODP, uh, coaching, I coached three club teams. So I coached three club teams. I was the director of coaching for a club, coached the two college teams, <laughs> plus 
plus I assisted Tom Durkin in all the ODP teams in North Texas. Wow. And, and met my wife. And uh, <laughs> so it was busy times those days. I was going to say. And so, uh, but I always thought that, you know what, I, I really feel like I can do I can do well. If I could just coach one team, I think I could really do well. And uh, so I got engaged on New Year's, New Year's Eve in 1991 and got married New Year's Eve uh, 1992 to, to Terry, uh, who was a grad. We went to high school together, met up at our, our 10 year reunion, and she's a Texas A&M graduate. Well, A&M had announced that they were going to start a program, and uh, knowing enough about the culture at A&M, I was like, "This is this, this is where this would be my dream if I could get this position. Um, if I could get into one of the one of the big big two schools in Texas, that's that's where I want to be." And uh, and, and at A&M, they hammer it into the kids that Aggies take care of Aggies, Aggies mm-hmm. take care of Aggies. So I made sure that I had 12 Texas A&M alumni references on my on my, my list, pestered them, pestered them, and finally I uh, was one of the three finalists and then ended up getting a job. And that was in 93 and uh, kind of hit, hit the ground running and as they say, the rest is history. So it, it's been a, a 26 year run so far and I'm hoping for a long, long time in the future. I can't imagine doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, you, you've had so much success, you know, in your program, and congratulations on that. You Thanks. know, you've obviously have built a really wonderful program with a great culture. Um, and before I dive into all the, the soccer and your career part and, and your coaching um, philosophies and whatnot, um, I want to circle back to the adoption thing because... Sure. I really find it fascinating because I know several people around your age that also were adopted and you know it's kind of come up and now with all this stuff now it's it's a little bit easier to track people down with ancestry.com and you know people are using those different things and I'm just curious what motivated you at this point in your life to find your birth mother or or find out if she was alive or or, or whatnot well um I, I've, I always knew I was adopted. I mean, as long as I can remember, uh, my parents, who are, are my adopted parents, the Guerreris, um, you know, they were always very, very, you know, honest with me that, that I was adopted. Now, they'd never told me my birth mother's name or anything along those lines. And, you know, as a, as a kid, my biggest thing is, you know, why would somebody give, give up their, their son? Why mm-hmm. would that happen? And, uh, you know, the answer was always like, well, she loved you enough to give you a, a, a better life. And that was, that was fine. And I do agree with that. And so I didn't actually, you know, I kind of, I dug around a little bit at times, but it never had any success. And I wasn't, excuse me, I wasn't going to, um, I really wasn't going to pursue it while my mom was still alive. And she passed away in 2001. And, uh, and so then it was like, okay, I'm more open to this, and but it really didn't. It really didn't become a a, a passion of mine. Um, it was always just something that was always in the back of my mind. Like I really, I'd like to know my genetics. I'd like to know, you know, is my if has my family died when they were 45 years old? Is my what what has gone on in the past? Where are we from? And uh, really, I have to give all the credit to my wife, and she is a. Uh, a master of the internet and as I say she got into the wormhole and just kept burrowing and found it and 
found you know found my birth mother and she was still alive uh, I have no siblings she uh, when she she was living in Chicago was working for Eastern Airlines at the time uh, was engaged and got pregnant and when he found out that, that she was pregnant he left her and basically you know abandoned. called her abandoned her mm -hmm. and uh, she stayed in Chicago and uh, you know went full term and and then gave gave me up for adoption and and then she went on with her life and uh, so it's been really neat uh, so I would think I was about 47 when we when my wife found her and and I called her uh, ironically on Mother's Day Sunday and uh, started talking to her and I was like you know this is this is actually going to work out pretty well because I thought I worried about all the bad things like you know is she in jail is she um, is she dead? Is mm -hmm. she, you know, what, what is it? Is she a drug addict? Is mm -hmm. she, you know, is she a gold digger? Is mm -hmm. she going to come after anything that I, I've built up for my kids? And it, it's turned out to only be great. It's, it's all been in the, the family members that I found. Um, I laugh. It's the, when I'm around, the first time I was around these people, it's the first time I've ever been to a family event that I looked like anybody. <laughs> um, you know, I've always Italians, you know, little, little, my, my father's five, five, you know, oh my goodness. and so I'm six, two and he, his, he would always laugh and say, yeah, you know, tall milkman. And that was always, uh, that was his way of kind of sloughing it off. But, but it really is interesting to, to find these things and it's great to, you know, their stories and, and who they are and the similarities that, mm -hmm. that, that we have. I have a cousin that I mean we could be twins and it's which is scary for a lot of people but it's wow. it's really wild and so all of that has been just great but it, for me it's um it's just shown me like I said uh they told me that they couldn't figure out I was a mystery no one in the family knew that I that I existed and uh that the only people I knew was Beth who's my birth mother and her father and he kept the secret from his wife to his grave never told her and uh they thought that basically that if if she had known about it that they would have raised me in this little bitty town in southern indiana where i clearly would have never played soccer i clearly would have never taken the path that i've had or had the influence that i've had on especially on young people and and the things that that you know kind of go into their lives and their experiences and all those things and and that's one of the coolest things that i think has come out of it is i really feel like I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I, I don't have any doubts that I'm doing what God has put me here to do. So let's do the best we can. Uh, so I'm, I'm just, this gets my curiosity going. In the, in the first time you met her, mm -hmm. um, your mother, your birth mother, Beth, did you say Beth, her name? Beth, yes. Like, what did you, what did you say to her? I'm just curious. <laughs> Cause you know, I, you and I were talking about this and it's like, if I gave up a child for adoption, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd be thinking about that child every day of my life. Like I'd be going, gosh, I hope he's doing okay. Gosh, I wonder what he's doing there. If he's, you know, what's going on in his life. So I, I'm curious. Well, what that's that what first she time. said. That's yeah. what she said. She goes, I've always, I've always, I've never stopped thinking about you. And I'm so happy to see that you've, you've turned out the way you have. And, you know, I love your, I love your family. I go, you know, you've got three grandkids and, you know, so you know, for her, it's been this. All of a sudden, this new life has has popped out. Yeah. She's gone instead of always being Aunt Beth. Now she's you know Grandma Beth, and 
it's been uh, it's been really really neat. The first time, you know, the first time I met her, I mean, she we have obviously very similar look, and so it was, you know, it was mm. easy to see initially, and um, you know, she's kind of a she has a lot of the same sim- uh, mannerisms that I do, which is, mm. you know, kind of mind-boggling, I guess. You know, you talk about is it culture or is it, you know, is it mm-hmm. is it your genes? And clearly, there's a lot to say about both about both and, mm-hmm. and what happens because a lot of me is my family that I grew up with. You know, my my father was a fast talking traveling salesman, and uh, you know, I've been accused of being a used car salesman at times, <laughs> and I could see. Uh, ironically, my my daughter is about mm. to graduate from A and M is getting a job in luxury car sales of all things. So funny. Uh, the apple it, doesn't fall far. Oh, I know, I know. But she'll be better at it. I would. But mm. it's um. So it's just been it's been such a a relief off off of mm-hmm. my back of you know the worry of you know what could be out there to actually knowing what is out there and mm-hmm. you know if if I have any regrets now it's just that I haven't I don't have the opportunities or I haven't taken advantage of the opportunities to get up to this part of the country more often. So, you know, we're at the National Soccer Coaches Convention, uh, the United Soccer Coaches, and uh, in Chicago. So I I flew up uh, last Sunday and uh, was down in Indiana through Wednesday. So, you know, it took a couple of personal days just to get it done. And, you know, we just, I, I wish I had done that more often mm-hmm. because it, it really is neat to be around around her and around my cousins and stuff like that. So it's, and I, I, I know that, uh, you know, I, I am where I belong and she's where she belongs. You know, this, that's there in, uh, in little Mitchell, Indiana, right by, mm-hmm. you know, where they have the persimmon festival and all these types of things. That's, that's her life and that's where she belongs. So it's, mm-hmm. it's neat to be a part of that, but also know that I'm on the path that I'm supposed to be on. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like, I'm, I imagine, I don't want to put words into your mouth. Um, is just that there has to be this sense of gratitude, you know. Oh, of course. And you know, like, uh, and just to have a chance to meet that person and say thank you, it must feel really good, you know. Well, that you know what, you know, that really was that was the biggest relief to me was you know, like I said, my mother had died, and um, that I did have an opportunity to, to say it because mm-hmm. I was always worried that I would never be able to say thank you for mm-hmm. you know giving me the chance. And, uh, you know, for a lot of people, you just need that chance. And, uh, you know, you think about the alternatives of aborting me or, or having me, you know, raised in a, in a manner that wasn't going to put me in the place where I am right now mm-hmm. and the, on the trajectory that I'm on and the trajectory now that my kids are on is, uh, is really special. And, again, it's kind of mind-boggling how, it all, it all, how, how life takes, takes off and how little bitty decisions can have a big impact not just in the near term but mm-hmm. forever and how those things happen for for the right reasons mm-hmm. and what a great like you know kind of like expanding that or you know connecting that with coaching and the decisions you make in coaching and the athletes that you bring to your program and how your paths cross there and the ripple effect continues right. on and on and on right, right? We, and, we talk about how you know mm-hmm. okay so if i if i never coached then you know of the hundreds of players that i brought to texas a&m uh 90 of those don't come to texas a&m you know and even the ones say well you know i made my first connections with the assistant coaches well they're not there either mm-hmm. you know um because mm-hmm. of my you relationship them, with them, right. <laughs> and so 
the girls don't come to A&M. They don't meet their husbands. They don't meet their they don't meet their partners in in life. They don't have their kids. That which is going to have ripples for generations and generations. Mm-hmm. And it's all because of this one really unselfish decision that this you know nineteen year old made a long time ago. So it's it's uh, mm-hmm. really really cool. It's it's so funny because I I you know the holiday season and. Yep. Every year I watch that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, and I sit there and I just cry, you know, but it's so true. Like, you know, hey, if you weren't in, if you weren't in existence, this wouldn't have happened and this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, it's and one of my favorite movies. Always, it, ha- You know what? Yeah. It, it always has been. Uh-huh. But when the first time I was at that town and they told me this is where you were going to live, that was the first thing, you know. I had my Bedford Falls moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like, and I just, I always cry, you know, yeah. at the end. It's just, you hear the little bell ring. But um, so when you when you look at your life then, and I'm curious, um, in as a coach, um, who have been your biggest influencers that you know have really kind of shaped you into your philosophy and huh. how you are with the coach? Well, you know, it we're we're always. I, I think a lot of coaches. I think some of the best coaches out there are the ones who are they keep their eyes open. Um, at A and M, we have a we have a Hall of Fame women's basketball coach, Gary Blair, mm-hmm. who is a, a dear friend of mine. And, uh, and he's, he's one of those guys. I mean, he'll come to our practices. He's at, he's at every one of our team's practices and he's, you know, he's 72 years old and he's still learning is, mm-hmm. is his way of think, thinking. And I, and I've been the same way in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I think, I think we all take ideas from other, other people and you see different influences from different people, but that was always, um, I think, you know, you can kind of go through history of where I've been and on those, you know, my high school coach, uh, Richard Manjoli was a, was a big influence on organization. Um, my club coach growing up, Horacio Echeverry, uh, an Argentinian who was passionate about attacking football was a huge influence on me as a goalkeeper. So our team, our team this long, you know, we were the top team in the state of Texas in those days. And we played a 3-3-4. And so, you know, we were averaging over five goals a game. We had, you know, we had, of our starting 11, you know, 10 of them, all 11 went off to play Division One uh, soccer. And nine of the 10 had opportunities to play professionally after that. But as the goalkeeper with with that type of setup, you know, we were, it was breakaway city coming back at me. But but it taught me, and it's it's always been one of my philosophies, is that the best defense is a strong attack. And it's more fun, anyway, to, to attack than defend. So that was a big influence. Um, Tom Durkin, who is, uh, I think, one of the one of the most brilliant soccer minds in, in U.S. history and is a protege of, uh, of Walt Chiswitz. Um, you know, how to run a training session, he was a big influence on that. Um, and I, I think right now, one of my biggest influences of all is, is my staff that I have, Phil Stevenson, who's... My associate head coach is, I mean, I, I put Phil up against anybody. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I, I think we learn a lot off of each other. We, we give and take off of each other a lot. Um, you know, he's, he's a wise guy and uh, wise in, 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 in intelligence. <laughs> in intelligence. Not, not a, not a know, wise cracker. Yeah, not right. a wise, well, a bit of that yeah. too. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so all those people, you know, the, and I'm, and I'm sure I've, I've left out others. You know, when I was in when I was in college, our basketball coach was uh, was Nolan Richardson, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and just his forty minutes of hell. I thought that I always thought that that was that that's something that we could put into soccer. And 
you know, and now here it is, lo and behold, all these years later, and you talk about pressing and counter pressing and all that. It's really mm -hmm. it's the same thing that Tulsa did then, and then Arkansas did in the '90s. So, all of those things have a, have always had a big influence on me. And you know, you you, you look at things, you try things, you uh, you tweak them to the way that you want to play. Um, but my thing has always been for our players. When I when I came to A and M, the first thing I told the, the there was a club team that had been there. First thing I told those girls was, "Listen, our my goal is for you to have fun. That is that is absolutely my goal. Now, it's a lot more fun to win than lose. So we're going to do everything we possibly can to win within the rules. But you're going to have fun doing it. We are not going to, you know, we're not going to pack it in. We're not going to." laid back and kick people we are gonna you know go at it and when I uh when I interviewed for the job Lynn Hickey who now is the athletic director at Eastern Washington and, and also is a good mentor of mine in my interview I, she was the basketball coach at A&M at the time and so in my interview I was like listen I'm a huge fan of Showtime basketball of the Lakers I go that we're going to play on a field 30 times larger than that but that's what we're going to play we are going to be fun to watch and and I want to make sure that I get it in the community and bring those people in, um, and show off what our girls can do. And and that's what our, our program has really kind of been about over the years. You know, we're I take a lot of pride in what we do in the community. I take a lot of pride in and in, in how much my girls are worshipped by little kids, boys and girls, throughout the state of Texas. And uh, take a lot of pride in that. You know, we're number one in home attendance year after year after year and you know you, you don't do that by playing ugly ball you don't do that by you know being boring and I think the the thing that is always that I always really take a lot of pride in is when people come in they they'll they'll say you know I've never been to a, a girls soccer game before and and I have to tell you I really thought it was going to be like watching paint dry because on tv I, I just don't understand it but I'm buying season tickets. That was fantastic. The mm -hmm. the pace, the athleticism of those girls, you know, they're passionate. They're all, I'm going, thank you. Mm -hmm. Please tell two friends and, mm -hmm. and, and bring them in. And that's, so for me, that's a, a big part of the gratification of, of how what we do is fun for our players and how what they do then inspires other kids to mm -hmm. you know to to try to uh, have that kind of fun too mm -hmm. well you mentioned earlier um that you had coached the men's team and then you got this opportunity to coach the women's team and what when you said that you know the difference for you like you really had some notable differences in coaching right. those two genders what what do you what do you um what are those differences first of all and then second of all what do you like about coaching women well, first off, the biggest difference is is that women are smarter than we are. Mm -hmm. Period. And <laughs> and any guy who thinks differently <laughs> is proving my point. <laughs> and so That's funny. And the issue and the and really the issue is is because we, and a lot of times, you know, you guys give us a lot more credit for things that we have no idea that we're thinking about. Mm -hmm. Um but again proves my point. But uh, it I think it's just a matter of that women really take the information in and really, really stir it up and think about it and, and the issues. And so the, the, the question of why always comes back. And so before you present to the team or an individual, you better have the why solved. Otherwise, 
if you're winging it, you're gonna it's gonna come across that way. I think on the guy's side, you can wing it. Um, I'm not saying that you should. I'm just saying that a lot of times, the thing that I go to watch football practices, basketball practices, different places, high school, college, all this stuff. And I think a lot of times there's no thought that goes into what these coaches are saying before they start screaming at these boys. And it's, you know, and I, and I'm, I come back to it. If I was to, if I was to do that to my girls, to, to my women, they'd kill me, you know, in my sleep, I would, they would, they would find a way to, to firebomb my house or I, I would hope that they, they would be thinking about that because we would never want to do that to them. And, uh, so the different, and it, it took, believe me, it, it was a learning process for me of understanding that, you know, you better think before you speak. And it's interesting because I started, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started a, a club in our town for boys and I've, I've got two sons and a daughter and, uh, and the coaches that I've gone to try to find, I wanted to make sure that they all had a background or as many of them as possible had a background in coaching women. Because I think that if you're talking to a nine-year-old kid, you better think about what you say because it's gonna have a big influence on how that person takes the information in, what they feel about you, what they feel about the game, how they think about themselves. I mean, all those things I, I think are, are incredibly important and and too many times there's just not enough education into what you really ought to be saying and how you should be saying it i'm not saying you have to lie to people but you just gotta think before Mm -hmm. you open your mouth Mm -hmm. and uh and so that's and so because of that the the first things i ever noticed from from coaching women is just how much they how appreciative they were of getting the information Whereas, and I'm really stereotyping here, mm-hmm. but for a lot of guys, I mean, it seemed like I, you'd have to knock them down a few pegs because, listen, listen, Johnny, you're really not that good. Mm-hmm. Well, I've never said that to one of my girls. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're telling themselves that already. And so the ability to build people up, and again, by being honest and showing, finding the, finding the good things in, in them is huge. And, uh, you know, and that goes to probably one of my biggest mentors of, my my career in general was um i used to be a director for tony DeChico. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I directed his goalkeeper camps for in the early years of soccer plus and just being around tony and you know the whole idea of catch them being good mm-hmm. is uh that was and that was when i was with tony was i was between 25 and 35 and so those were some really important years in, in my development as a coach and from in just instead of just saying stuff and cutting kids and being you know you know brutal with kids of learning and, and watching him who was a master of it finding finding the good in in people and, and actually watching a little bit longer until you could find something good that they did and then you reinforce it and then you build from there and uh, you know and I, th- I think that's something that too many people, haven't been as lucky as me to be around some of those people. Yeah, it sounds like you've had some really fantastic uh, mentors in, in your yeah. life. And, you know, you and I were talking about this. It's like, it's a little bit of a crapshoot, you know, if you're, a, a, you know, as far as like finding the right mentors as you're developing as a coach and, and who are you around that's modeling that for you? Because, uh, you know, um, many coaches are just coaching the way they were coached. And, right. Um, which is that's tough, you know, when you're when you're talking about it, which fascinates me in our culture because 
sport has such a huge impact. Like, I think the statistics now are like, what, one in five kids play sports at some level, you know? And yeah. it's like, I mean, almost every kid, boys and girls, are trying a sport, like from t-ball to something. And and those coaches have such a huge impact um, from youth all the way to um, pro. I mean, you, you can, you know, Olympic, whatever. And um, so anyway, I just, I find it fascinating, you know, how coaches develop and, and who's helping them develop. and. Well, and, and also, the, you talk about the impact. I'll give you a, a quick story. So uh, an old teammate of mine from Tulsa, a uh, year before last when Hurricane Harvey hit the Texas coast, he and his wife um, lived near Houston. And so uh, I was like, get on up here, you know. So we took them in. Well, they had to evacuate. So we, we brought them in. And, you know, of course, we're exchanging old war stories and all that kind of stuff. And... One of the things he he said to me he goes he goes you know I remember I can remember specific times he was a he played right back in front of me I was a goalkeeper he goes I can remember specific times when you you know got on me for something that I had kind of went down, I I let let off on and you didn't let me forget about it he goes that was thirty five years ago he goes but he goes all of these things that that kids have in their sports they're always in their locker they'll always be in their locker for the rest of their lives as far as what they are. So I think it's important for young coaches to understand that, you know, you're putting things in these kids' locker whether you know it or not. And, you know, what do you want in yours? And so kind of the golden rule of what, how is it that you want to be remembered? You know, I think when you're 22 years old, you're not thinking about that at all. Mm-hmm. Now I'm, I'm 55, I'm thinking about that. And uh, so, you know, how is it that you want these kids to to think about you later on and I mean I've been lucky enough to be I mean heck I'm the longest serving coach at Texas A&M now um but some of the best times around Christmas time for example is you know you get on Facebook and all of my kids Mm -hmm. their kids and you know the pictures of you know first day of school and and all this stuff from literally from coast to coast uh, across the world and uh you know in my mind you know, these girls are still 19 years old instead of, you know, 42 years old. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really neat to see. And, you know, we, we've had uh, recently, we've had my 25th year last year, and we had a huge reunion come back. And that must have been fun for you. It was awesome. It, it was it was really, it, it was really kind of mind boggling on, on the whole thing. And, uh, but it was, it, it was, it was so refreshing because, you know, they, they all had such, you know, such great memories, uh, mostly about your teammates and about the experiences, many off the field instead of on the field. Mm-hmm. But they have all that. But it, the cool thing was the, across the generations of all the players and that they all could could share different things. And a lot of them were just stupid G stories. But <laughs> but other times, you know, how stupid G is. But, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of times it was just a matter of, uh, you know, you know the common the common things that they had going just by wearing the maroon uniform and mm-hmm. and what that did for them and and now how you know they carry their life on because of, of those things and and I can tell you I wasn't thinking about that when I was you know I got the job at A&M when I was 29 and that was not on my mind at all uh, my mind was just how can I how can I win mm-hmm. and uh, how can we go forward and and it and I and I've had some really good advice from different people R.C. Slocum, who's legendary coach uh, for their football team, who's, again, a dear friend of mine to this day, um, 
one of the things I learned from him in like the first two years that I was there was just the issue of, you know, you've always got to take the high road. He's like, it's easy to be a jerk. It's easy to be catty and it's easy to cheat. He goes, but you're not going to sleep well at night. If you, if you're a good guy, you're not going to sleep well at night. And eventually something, it's always going to catch up with you. If you're cutting corners, it's always going to catch up with you. And I was like, and, and I, I still, I think of that every day. And I tell, so with the, the club that I, I've started, the Cavalry, that's that's my message to our coaches all the time. You always take the high road. You don't, you get, you're on the sideline with a, a jerk on the other side, don't get into it. You know, don't go that way. And it's, mm-hmm. it's easier said than done. I've had my moments mm-hmm. too where I didn't take the high road. Um, but I've always regretted it. And I think it's, it's an important lesson to, to learn that if you, do things that are everyone's watching you so you need to go about your life the right way and you'll find that your life turns out better that way but also the impact that you have on other people are gonna is gonna be that much better mm-hmm. and I, again I'm not perfect I've, mm-hmm. I've, yeah. I, I've had my stumbles for sure mm-hmm. but uh, you know you hope that you're gonna be remembered that way that that's that's how people are gonna think of you mm-hmm. so G take me into your program and and, you know, just, I guess, what what is it that you want your program to stand for? Or, or like, if you come into your locker room or, or, you know, you're recruiting me to come play for you, what do you say, like, that your program stands for? What are your pillars, your philosophy, or your values? Well, we don't, we don't have a lot of mottos up. You know, we have our standards that we have within the university. But for my program, it, it's just, it, family is, is hugely important now. You know, and I think that when you, when I whenever I'm talking to coaches, especially coaches who are young and maybe have a new, that they've just gotten a job as a head coach, I think it's vitally important that you hire the right people, that you bring the right people, and the, and the people that are gonna are gonna have your values and are gonna hold you accountable to your values sometimes. So, so I my my staff has been with me for more than 20 years, mm-hmm. and we're very different, and and we're very different in every way. So Phil and Lori Stevenson, husband wife team, are are my associate head coach and assistant coach and uh and then myself and we've been together since 99 and we are very much like um we've been compared to the old uh judges on american idol (laughs) and uh so phil is from the north of england and he is simon and he is blunt and he is honest and very intelligent and it's black or white um laurie is more like paula and is is very in tune with with the uh, the general feelings of, of the group, how people are taking information in. She's very, very good at, at understanding what the girls are, are seeing and saying, and, and she is fluent in female, so mm-hmm. it works out great. <laughs> and uh, and then myself, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of the, the dog right between the two. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to keep things balanced and keep things moving. And, and I think it's important also that you you know, you surround yourself with people who can do things that you can't do or that can do things better than you can um, and that they can benefit from being around the the special gifts that I have. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's a, that's been a big part of our success is, you know, the, the ownership that, that I give my staff. Um, we are not an autoc... You know, I'm, I'm not an autocrat that is the only person who can make a decision. Mm-hmm. I think that people who do that limit themselves to one brain. And, you know, we have 
you know, I've, us three plus I've got the best director of ops in the, in in soccer I've, in Kurt Magnuson. We have a really special uh, group of support staff around us, and that we've been able to bring and attract in. And uh, but you know, Lori and Phil married for 28 years, uh, two kids. One of them is an Aggie. Uh, my director of ops is an Aggie. He's got he's married to an Aggie. They've got three kids. Um, I'm married to an Aggie. We have a, my daughter is a, is at A and M. My son is is a, is potentially going to go there as well. And you know, so it's not just. I mean, we're we're not a, we're not anything but a chance for someone to come and be a part of a family that really has similar um, aspirations, but also really similar. We're grounded in the same way. So. Mm-hmm. You know, our, our homes are always open to people and, you know, they're more apt to go to Lori's house than, they're going to, than they are to my house. And that that's fine with me. I'm fine. I, I don't take that personally. But it's uh, but I think it's it's really important that, you know, the magic that we have is our is our consistency and our, uh, you know, that we are we're always striving to, to try new things and to find new things and to. And, and understanding that the cool thing about college athletics is that every year is a new team. Even if you have a kid who started for three years, it's still a new team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's, that's something that kind of keeps us fresh. People are like, you know, you, you've come so close, you've gone this far, you've done this, you've won those, and, you know, but you haven't won the national championship. And what's, you know, what is it that keeps you driving? I was like, well, I want to win several national championships. And the, the cool thing is, is the every day of it is every day I get to wake up and, you know, as Anson would say, I, I wake up and I go to recess and it's, uh, you know, and I have a great life to, to go along with my, my days at, at recess. So I can't, I can't complain about anything along those lines. Again, it's, it's, it's been fun every day. I wake up and really enjoy going to work. Sometimes I forget that it's, the sun went down many hours ago. I should go home. Um, but it's also been really neat that I've been able to be in one spot, and and I know that that's re- it's very very unique. Very rare, right. And right. Uh, you know, my my daughter once came home. She was, you know, we have we have two high schools in in College Station, and so a lot of the coaches' kids all go to the same schools. And so this one day, my daughter's hanging out with some of the football coaches' daughters, and uh, you know, they're talking and. So they're saying, so, so Emily, you've lived here in College Station your whole life. She goes, yeah, College Station. I've been here. It's, and they're like, no, no, no. And your dad's a coach. Yeah, but you know, you guys have lived in fun places. They're going, wait. So your dad's a coach, and you've lived in one town, right? Your right. whole life, right? So she came home that 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 uh, that evening. And was like, is it is this rare that it would be like this? I go, I go, yeah. She goes, yeah, you know. Uh, you know, the Sumlins were like talking about well, they'd been in Houston, they'd been in Oklahoma, they'd been in Wyoming, they'd been blah, 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 all these different places. I was like, I go, yeah, I go, we've mm-hmm. been really, really blessed mm-hmm. in, in what, we've, what we've been able to do and the life that we've been able to have. So I think part of the issue of just understanding that you are blessed is, uh, is kind of what gives me confidence to do what I do and keep doing it mm-hmm. and try, trying to find better ways to do it. So you, you've mentioned a couple times your wife, Terry, mm-hmm. um, and you know, a lot of times I try to explain to the younger coaches, 
that before they get attached to somebody like how that is probably one of the most important decisions you make is to have a partner who supports you as a coach. I mean, would you agree with that and Absolutely. elaborate on that a little bit? Well, again, like I said, it's important that you surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. And <laughs> Terry is the perfect example for that. For that. So our story is kind of interesting. We went to high school together and she was way out of my league in high school. She was totally out of my league. And I actually sat in front of her in a health class and would would uh, turn around and harass her during class. But um, and we started dating after after our 10-year reunion. And, uh, and one of the things, I remember one of our first conversations was she's like, so, so you're a soccer coach? I said, I go, yeah. She goes, I remember you were a player. She goes, so you're a coach? She goes, I don't. I don't know anything about soccer. She goes, I know about Pelé. I go, this is going to be a great relationship. <laughs> this is going to be fantastic. You know, like, so Lori and Phil, who, you know, they, they work together and they coach together. That's got to be very difficult. Um, you know, the Leones, it's got, it's got to be terribly tough not to keep your hats on the whole time. And I, I know the Stevensons do a great job of knowing when to turn it off and, and going on it that way. But um, that's one of the things that really attracted me initially that, hey, this is something that I, you know, I was always in love with her, but this is something that could actually work because I can turn it off when I go home and we can focus on, on our lives and everything else. And, you know, and unfortunately, the, one, of my, one of my shortcomings is, you know, I'll, I'll keep things inside me a lot of times and I won't share enough about what's going on at the office because I don't want to I don't want to bother her with it but you know it's one of the things that I should open up more with just to because mm-hmm. she's smarter than I am so mm-hmm. um, but it really has been fantastic uh, you know when we start, when we first started dating she was making significantly more money than than I was and and then when I had the chance to come to college station you know, where she never thought she'd ever be coming back to after graduating from, mm-hmm. from there. We were in Dallas at the time. Um, you know, she's like, no, I'm, I'm in this. I'm in this, and this is what you want to do, and I'm, I'm going to support you all the way. And so that was a, you know, we had, we had only been married for a few months when, when, I, got, when I got the gig. So it, that was neat. And then when we, when, uh, we got pregnant, uh, you know, we made the we made the conscious decision that she was not going to, you know, work outside of the house. It was going to be full time uh, homemaker mm-hmm. and uh, or a trophy wife, if you want to call it that. <laughs> but uh, but it really it, it's it's been phenomenal, and you know, and I, I and her influence on me obviously transforms onto you know anything any influence I have on on our players because. Um, you know, she's been around soccer now for a long time, so she can, she can see, she knows mm-hmm. the game now, and she has grown to love it. Our, all of our kids have played, so it's. But if if it wasn't for her, I don't know what I. Mm-hmm. Number one, I I wouldn't have the job because I think I got the job because she was an A and M grad because they were looking after Aggies. Um, <laughs> but but it's also been a fact where she, uh, you know, it like like I said, I, I know that I'm blessed, and. Part of that is, you know, I, here I have a, a wife that, you know, we've been married for 26 years and stronger than ever. So it's it's really, you, you hear about all the divorces and all the hardships that coaches have, especially if coaches' wives have or coaches' partners have. It's, I mean, it's tough. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, you know, you find the right one 
then exactly. uh, things work. Mm-hmm. Well, let me um, ask you one more question, and then I'm going to move into our rapid fire okay. um, questions. So, what what do you? How do you think you've grown the most as a coach over your career? Wow. Um, I think mostly it just in being more conscious of what what I do and and the impact that I have because as a young coach I had no idea I mean I was you know you're moving a thousand miles a, a minute and you know you've, I've, you've got to go to conquer the next dragon all the time and I think now it's it's been over time it's been you know what do I want to leave as a legacy um, for my family what do I want to what do I want you know my my program and uh, and our team to to be thought of and and that's so having that in mind uh, in the back of my mind all the time I think is something that actually helped me to make the right decisions mm-hmm. instead of to make harsh you know rash decisions or quick decisions be like okay well how is this where is this going to go more long term and I, I think I don't know if that's wisdom or if it's just that I'm moving slower but, <laughs> but that's that's probably what has happened do you think um if you look back on your career, like when you were younger, a lot of your focus was more on the X's and O's of soccer. And as you've gotten older, it's kind of shifted more and more to the people aspect of coaching. Or do you feel like you've always had a good balance of those two? Well, I think I think over time I handle people better. Uh, but the response of people was why I got in coaching. It was I could see, I mean, back to you know my seventh grade basketball coach, who I actually still keep in keep in touch with um he was one of the first guys that actually had an had an impact on me and we didn't have a a real close relationship I mean I was I was scared I was afraid of him (laughs) but um but I remember how much what an influence he had on me and so that always was in the back of my mind of you know remember what coach Guillory did that's you know that's what I you know to kind of stick with that and and I think that uh, seeing kids' eyes light up, and I think girls, especially, you know, from the my first team with Rollins to, you know, my Harden Simmons teams to especially now my Texas A and M teams, you know, the what you what you get from when the players really turn it on mm-hmm. and they know that they had help in getting that done. That's what yep. that's been the best part of it. And so, I think now as a, as an older coach, it's just. Um, I, I just I focus more on it. I, I focus more on the messaging and how we're how we're getting that information to them. Mm-hmm. So let's move into some of our rapid fire questions here. Is there a buzzer or anything? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna hit the thirty second timer. <laughs> so I asked this question yesterday in our uh, mentoring circles, but I'm curious your answer. Um, what do you think some of has been some of the best advice you've been given? Uh, what take the high road? Take the high road. Okay. What is a common mistake you think head coaches make? Um, I think a lot of times they they make decisions based on one instance instead of thinking about what's going to happen because of if I if I if I do this in this particular game, how is that going to affect other things? And I think sometimes those rash decisions um, can be mistakes. Mm-hmm. How about a common mistake you think assistant coaches make? Uh, the biggest mistake is not 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 speaking. 
mm-hmm. you know, letting things happen and then being having regrets because they saw something that they could have they could have helped to fix. Even if it's just coming to the head coach and saying, "Hey, I see this and this and this," and and I really th- again, I think that's why I my my leadership style is is very non autocratic. It's you know, give me the you guys have got to give me the information you have, mm-hmm. and then we can figure out the best way to get things done. Um, so we've already talked about one thing that's really unique about you being adopted. Right. Um, what is something else that you might have that unique about you that people might not know about you? Oh goodness. Um, you know, superstitions and stuff like that. You know, uh, I. Um, so one of my one of the things that I picked up, and I don't know that it actually helps me, but it's it's a way for me to focus. Was when I was in college, Nolan Richardson was our basketball coach. He used to wear the other team's colors on game days. So, uh, like at the at the game, and he wore these polka dot suits. It was. I remember him because I was a basketball coach, so I remember Nolan Richardson. He's awesome. Um, yeah. Scary, but uh, so I I actually I wear the other team's colors. Um, on the day of game, I don't wear it at the game, but on the day of the game, I'll and it basically it's a reminder of me of what's coming today, mm-hmm. and I need to focus on it. Well, that's that's interesting. Um, great coaches are blank. Uh, conscientious. Great coaches know how to Communi- communicate. Besides exercise, a healthy part of your daily ritual is. Um. Well, a, a part of my daily ritual now is I, I go for long walks mm-hmm. and I enjoy, so I don't know that I would call it meditation, but that's my, that's my way of, of unloading my thoughts and mm-hmm. clearing my mind is I'll, and so I guess personal time is, is mm-hmm. an important Some part reflection of it. time in your day, Absolute, building that in. Absolutely. Um, what is one piece of advice you'd give your 20 year old self? Think before you speak. That's a good one. One of your favorite books is? You know, I don't read that. I don't, that's one of my shortcomings is I don't, my attention span is, is tough on, on reading. I do, I do a lot of, um, I do a lot of audio books. And one of the recent ones that I, I guess I read was, uh, the boys in the boat. Mm. Uh, I thought was fantastic about the, uh, university of Washington crew. Mm. Um, and they're, Olympic run in uh, in 1940, I think mm, it was mm-hmm. in uh, in Berlin. That was I thought that was pretty inspirational um, cool. in the way it went. Um, we already talked about that. Where do you, where do you hope to grow more as a coach? Um. Well, I'd I'd like to I'd like to grow more in uh, in just my my comfort with. Uh, you know, just being more comfortable around the players all the time. Um, you know, I, I know that my title carries some scary issues to it for mm-hmm. some players. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'd love to be able to, you know, make it easier for, to, to put my players at ease. Mm-hmm. It's just to relax. It usually takes, usually takes them a while to really, um, kind of understand that I really do care about them mm-hmm. and I, I really want the, the most for them. And so that's something I'm always trying to do a little bit better job with. Mm-hmm. Um, if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? 
I don't know. Maybe it was selling cars. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've, we've thought about that. Like, so if, and my wife is, is Terry has told me, she goes, you're someone that you can never retire. And, and, I'll, and she's right. I, I, I don't think I could, I don't think I could go fishing every day. I could golf a lot, but I can't just do that. I have to have as it has to be the sideline of something else. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy public speaking. Um, I enjoy going and, and talking to groups and, and mentoring people. I, I really enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But it, but I do that because I'm of of my career, of my success, that um, I, I think I have some some things I can help people out with, and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Three words you hope your athletes would use to describe your program. Fun. Excellent. And um, creative. I, I think I think we try to be we want to be creative in the way that we go about looking at things, and uh, we don't want it just we never want it to be mundane and and you know just routine as we go through. We want to try to keep it fresh and keep it exciting. And again, you know, our our training sessions are often some of the shortest training sessions I've ever seen. It's a situation of we get it right. Well done. done. Well done. Have, have a good day. Have a great day. And they'll look at us like, <laughs> what? <laughs> What's, what? You're about to trick us. No, I swear. Go on. You guys did great. Cool down and go be kids. Have a, have a fun time. That's great. Well, G, thank you so much. I really have enjoyed this conversation. Well, thank you. And um, uh, good luck with your next season. Hi, coaches. Thank you so much for joining us on this Coaches on the Rise episode. There's a few little things that we'd really like to ask you to do for us that might seem little, but they're huge for True North Sports. First, if you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. And we'd really like to hear what you have to say about our podcast by writing a short review. The second thing is please share our podcast with other coaching colleagues that you have. And the third thing is Join us on social media. Follow the different programs, um, things that we're offering through True North Sports for all coaches of all sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. And until next month, keep shining bright, coaches.